0: My name is Matt Carter. So good to be with you guys today. I'm the lead pastor here at Sagemont. Uh, The guy that was just leading that song is a guy named Bill Cole. He's been around here for a really, really long time. And every time he speaks before a song, I just want to charge hell with a water pistol. And uh, I'm thinking about making him preach. What do y'all think? I think he might do a good job. I think he's got a gift. He doesn't know it yet. Um, My name is Matt Carter. I have a wonderful plan for his life. All right. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, 6. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to have the scriptures behind me on the screen. We're starting a new series today we're calling Generations, but I want to share a quote with you before we jump into what the series is about. First heard this quote from a guy named John Piper. He was a pastor in Minnesota for a long time. And the first time I heard this quote was in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. And he talked about how this quote was on a plaque that his mom put on the door above their kitchen door. And he saw it every day walking out the door of his house. And here's the quote. He said, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. And only... What's done for Christ will last. That is a bold statement. It's a statement that not all of us in the room believe or agree with. But at the end of the series, my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that would not just be a quote or a statement, but it would be one of the primary things that defines and directs your life. Everybody look at me real quick. Because if God is real, and I'm convinced that he is, and if Christ is who he says he is, and I'm convinced that he is. then that that statement, "Only what's done for Christ will last," is not one of the primary things that is directing and informing your life, then you run the risk of completely wasting the one life that you have been given. And before I preach any further, I want to go back in time. For almost a couple of years now, to the very first sermon I ever preached at this church, for those of you that are here, don't shout it out, but you remember what I preached on. I preached on being a church of lion chasers. <clears throat> and to explain that, what I did is I compared and contrasted two men. One was King David, and the other was the captain of his bodyguard. It's a man named Beniah. Now, what's interesting about David and Beniah is that both of those men began their lives courageous and being powerfully used by God. But how those men finished their lives were radically different. And what was the primary determining factor in how those men finished their lives really did come down to one choice. And here was the choice. The choice was to, as they came to the end of their lives, to sit back and relax and to be content with all their past victories, and past successes, or to raise their hand and say, God, no matter what you've done through me and my past, would you use me to continue to fight your battles? But I had chose the harder path. Scripture says he walked into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And I don't have time to tell you that story, but it's a cool one, and he killed the lion. David chose the easy and the comfortable path. It says the uh, in the scripture that at a time when kings were supposed to be leading their men to battle, David instead laid up on the couch. Laid back, relaxed. He literally got on the couch when his men were at battle. And that one decision by both of those men radically changed the course of their life. King David just finished okay. King David, man after God's own heart, he just finished average. Finished kind of lukewarm. Benaiah finished really well, being powerfully used by God until his final days. And the reality is that all of us here are faced with that exact same choice. With your one life that you've been given, are you going to be a couch sitter? Are you going to be a lion chaser? And that's what this series is all about. We're doing a series, starting a series today. you're going to go three weeks that we're calling Generations. Sagemont is one of those rare churches that is a multi-generational church church we have hundreds of folks from the older generation that have been faithfully walking with God for a long time and then at the same time we're going like crazy with younger genera- generation of people that are just beginning their race and so for the older generation that are here I want to speak to you you have a choice and the choice is to look around at this amazing <coughs> land and this amazing building that you built and to um, look at all the ways, as, as Brother Bill was talking about, that we look at all the ways that God has so powerfully moved in our church in the past, and like King David, to just sit back, relax, and face your remaining years on cruise control. Or, as you begin the final stretch of your race, you can turn your eyes to the Lord and ask a bold and courageous question, God, would you help me to finish this race well? Well, And God, would you do more for your glory in the coming days and in my final years than you did in the previous days, in the previous years? And God, would you use me to do it? It's a bold question, but that's your choice. For the younger generation, you also have a choice. You see, for you, your choice is not really yet, are you going to finish well because... You're not really at the end of the race. All younger generation, I want you to look at me, don't miss this. The question and the choice, rather, that you face is, are you going to waste your life on the way to the finish line? That's your choice. In other words, are you going to be like the overwhelming majority of people in this world that waste the best years of their life pursuing all the stuff that the world says is so important, but in light of eternity means absolutely nothing? Or we spend the best years of your life pursuing the one thing that has eternal significance and actually has the power to outlive you? And that is the glory of God, his mission, Jesus Christ, and his glory and his kingdom. Whether you're older or whether you're younger or whether you believe it or not, that statement that I said at the beginning of this message is hauntingly true and accurate. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. So with the rest of my time today, here's what I want us to do. I want us to go ahead and turn quickly. Second Timothy, chapter 4. We're going to look at two quick verses today, and I'm going to be done. And those two verses, maybe more than any other place in the Scripture, show us what a strong, finishing, non-wasted life looks like. So the Apostle Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and in those two verses, Paul was describing the end of his life. And it was really convicting what he says, because he's describing for us what the end of the Christian life ought to look like. He's not just talking to pastors here. I think he's talking to all of us, giving us a picture of what we should emulate as we run our race and turn the final lap of our race. And so let's look at it together, 2 Timothy four, six. He's writing to a young pastor, Timothy, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now look at that statement there. He says, The time of my departure has come. It's important to understand he's not talking about leaving a location. He's not talking about leaving the place that he is. He's talking about leaving the world. Paul's describing the end of his life. And I want you to watch how Paul describes how he is ending his life. In his ministry. Makes an interesting statement in verse 6 again. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. What in the world does that mean? Why does he say that? I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Well, what he's doing there is he's making reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And there were three in the book of Numbers, there were three things or three sacrifices or offerings. I'm not going to this much that God told his people to offer him. Number one was a burnt offering of an animal, and the second was a grain offering, <clears throat> and then there was a final offering. You gave one final offering, one final sacrifice, and it was a drink offering. You took some wine, and you poured it out completely on the altar of sacrifice. Now, I don't have time today to go into all the meanings of all the different sacrifices and all that stuff, but here's what I want you to take away from it, and I want you to listen to me really carefully. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say, I poured out a drink offering. He didn't say that about the end of his life. He didn't say, hey, I'm, I'm reaching the final lap of this race, and I poured out a drink offering to sig- signal that I'm done. He says this. He said, I'm, I'm approaching the end of my life. And Paul said, I am being poured out as a drink offering. I'm being poured out. As a sacrifice, he's literally saying that as I turn the corner in the final lap of my race and I can see the finish line from here, he's like, Timothy, I want you to know that I don't have this thing on cruise control, but as I want to run through the finish line of my life being poured out to the final drop as a sacrifice for God and his kingdom. That's what he means. Now for those of you that are older here today, let me ask you an important question can you say that about your life? Could you honestly say that about your life as you enter into the final stretch of your life's race? Can you look at your life and the way you're spending your days and your time and your finances and say, yes, I am being poured out as a drink offering, as a sacrifice to the last drop, to the final day for the glory of God? A lot of you can because I know you, but some of you can't. And I would, Venture to say that a lot of older American Christians can't say that. They'd be forced to say, hey, I'm at the end of my life. I'm at the final lap of my life, and man, I'm enjoying my retirement. I'm at the final stage of my life. I'm at the end of my life. I'm running the final laps of my race, and I have have carved out some me time to take a break and focus on what I want to do. But the Apostle Paul said, that's not how I'm going out. That's not how I'm going out. At the end of his life, Paul wasn't concerned about comfort. He wasn't concerned about ease. He wasn't concerned about safety. He wasn't concerned about me time. At the end of his life, Paul had one concern. There was one driving force in his life, and it was that with whatever time he had left, he wanted to make sure that he was being poured out to the last drop as a sacrifice for Almighty God. That verse reminds me of a... A sermon I heard years ago that was really convicting to me. If you've been in church for a while, you know, you hear sermons, you know, a lot, almost every Sunday. And, um, and there are times, hopefully every Sunday you get something from the sermon. But every once in a while you hear a sermon that doesn't just impact you on that Sunday, but it impacts the rest of your life. This was one of those sermons for me. It's the year 2000, which seems like an eternity ago for those of you that were alive. And I was at this event called One Day. There was a passion uh, event. Louis Giglio uh, was leading that. There were 40,000 people from my generation there at one day. And the guy that was preaching was named John Piper, the one with the quote that I just told you about. And um, he began to preach. And he began telling the story about two women. The first one was named Ruby. I believe it was Ruby um, Eliason and Laura Edwards. He described Ruby, he said she was 80 years old and she was single her entire life. <clears throat> Laura was 78 and she was a widow and a medical doctor. And both of them, these, this lady that was 80 and 78, one had never been married, one husband had died. They left the comfort of the United States and they were spending their final years um, in the country of Cameroon, Africa taking the, uh, the name of Christ uh, to people that were sick and poor and unreached in that country. And a month before, Piper gave that sermon at one day. A month before, Ruby and Laura were driving together towards a village there in Cameroon. They were turning the corner on this cliff and their brakes went out. The car flew over the side of the cliff and both Ruby and Laura were instantly killed. Popper looked at thousands of young people of which I was one of, and he paused and said, "That is not a tragedy. That is not a tragedy. Two women who." Two decades after most of their peers had hung it up, gotten on the sidelines, and were wasting their lives on trivial nonsense, died a violent and fiery death because they were taking the message of Christ to people that had never heard his name, and he paused and said again, that is not a tragedy. And then Piper picked up a reader's digest, and he began reading from it, it was an article from uh, February of 1998, here's what it said. It said, Bob and Penny are in their early 60s and they took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, they play softball, and they collect shells. And he paused and he looked at us and he said, "That." is a tragedy. That is a tragedy. And he said, well, why do I say it's a tragedy? Because everybody's pursuing it. Why is it a tragedy? He says, because as you come to the end of your one and only precious God-given life and you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account for how you spent and how you stewarded the last years of your life you will have no choice to stand before almighty god and say here it is lord here's my seashells and he said that is a tragedy <laughs> i remember sitting there and looking over at my wife, Jennifer, I was just in my 20s, my mid-20s at the time. I looked over at my wife, Jennifer, and I said, well, there goes my retirement, <laughs> right? <laughs> and look, there's nothing wrong with retirement. That's not the question of whether retirement's right or not. The question is, how are you going to spend your retirement? How are you going to spend your time? What are you going to do during that season? And I made a decision right then and there in that in that place that I was going to spend the rest of my days up to my final days, not like Bob and Penny from Punta Gorda, but I wanted to spend my final days like Ruby uh, Ruby and Laura in Cameroon and like Paul in a Roman prison so that when I stand before Almighty God at the end of my day, I can say, Lord, I poured myself out. The final drop for the only thing that matters. You, your kingdom, your glory. And let me ask you a question, what about you? If the Lord, I'm going to ask this question twice today, but if the Lord were to take you home today, I don't care how old you are, but if the Lord were to take you home today and you stood before him, almighty God, the creator of the universe, to give an account for how you spent your final days, would you be forced to stand before the Lord and say, here it is, God. Here's my golf score. I shot under par twice this year, God. God, here it is. Here's my 180 class buck that I finally killed. God, here's my 28-inch trout that I finally caught. God, here's my bank account. Here's my business that I finally grew to the place I wanted, even though it's not going to come with me, Lord. Here it is. Here's my house on the beach. God, here's my Facebook account that I spent the last uh, 20 years arguing with liberals. Here it is, Lord. (laughs) Here it is. Or could you stand before the Lord and say, God, I I poured myself out as an offering for the only thing that matters, you, your kingdom, your glory. It's an important question because only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. But Paul doesn't end there. He doesn't end there. I want you to watch what he says next. It says, two important things and we'll be done. 2 Timothy 4 6, he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time my departure has come. Watch me, he says. He says, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, and I've kept the faith. Now, I want to speak for the rest of my time to the younger generation. The younger generation, those of you that are teenagers in your 20s, 30s, 40s, early 50s, You still have a lot of life hopefully left and there's two things Paul says here that is really critical for you to think about as you run your race he says I've fought the good fight and I've kept the faith now I want to talk for a second about that second statement I have kept the faith that's an interesting statement to me for the apostle Paul to say y'all with me I've kept the faith I mean this is the apostle Paul for crying out loud. Why did he make that statement? This is the guy that Jesus appeared to, knocked him off his horse, blinded him, audibly called him into ministry. This is the guy that wrote the majority of the New Testament. I could make a pretty strong argument. The Apostle Paul is a pretty strong Christian. Amen? Why did he take the time to tell young Timothy, hey, Timothy, I kept the faith. I think the reason is because Running through the finish line of your life with your faith in God completely intact is a lot easier said than it's done, and a lot of people don't do it. I could, I could stand up here, literally for the rest of my time in the entire series, and I could tell you one story after another of people that began their lives, they began their stories as people that from all outward appearances looked like they love God, that they serve God, that they worship God, but something happened in their life. They were all in until, it's a key word, until something happened and they walked away. As far as I know, they haven't come back. And real quickly, I want to tell you a story about a, a guy in the Old Testament. This is one of the most powerful and convicting stories, in my opinion, in the Old Testament. It's about King Uzziah, a guy who started really well. He did not finish well because there was an until in his life. King Uzziah, one of the most successful kings in Israel's history. He started reigning when he was 16 years old and had a long and prosperous reign. Don't turn there. Just watch. Second 2 Chronicles 26.3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. Can you imagine a 16-year-old being king? He's actually a really good king. Because he sought the Lord. Watch this. Isaiah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. Watch. It says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so Isaiah, a the throne, is 16 years old, and this was a young man who had a heart for God. This guy had a heart for God. He followed after the Lord. He sought the Lord. He talked to the Lord. He did what was right in the, uh, with, uh, for the Lord. He just was sold out to God. Now listen, because of that, I want you to watch what God did in his life. Look at verse 5, 26-5. Talking about Uzziah, he says, He set himself to seek God. As a 16-year-old, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. Watch this. And as long as he sought the Lord. God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And the scripture goes into 10 verses. Ten verses of all the unbelievable stuff that Uzziah accomplished because he was seeking God. And then it gets to verse 15. Ten verses later, it gives his final accomplishment and it tells why he was so successful. Look at verse 15, 26-15. It says, In Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and the great stones. Watch this. And his, Uzziah, his fame spread far for He was marvelously helped. His fame spread far because he was marvelously helped. Mont, who helped Uzziah? God did. God did. Everything, listen, everything Uzziah accomplished was because he sought the Lord and the favor of God was on his life. But I want you to watch the very next thing the scripture says. Look at verse 15. In Jerusalem, he made machines and made my skillful men to be on the towers and the corners, shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped until he became strong. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. Sage, that word until is a scary word said Uzziah was marvelously helped by God until something happened. He was marvelously helped by God until something changed. He was marvelously helped by God until he turned in another direction. He was marvelously helped by God until because of God's blessing, Uzziah became strong. And when Uzziah became strong, he became prideful and he stopped seeking the Lord. And I want you to watch what happened when he stopped seeking the Lord. Verse 16, it says, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Uzziah was being marvelously helped by God. And he looked around at all the ways that God was helping him. And instead of being thankful to God, he looked at his strength and he thought it was his own. And so he became prideful and he stopped seeking the Lord. And when he stopped seeking the Lord, God removed his hand of blessing from Uzziah's life. And he was never the same. And so I want to challenge you to do something. Sage Mon, if you want to finish this race well, whether you're at the beginning or the end of it, if you want to finish your race well, I, I think you need to take the time, like the time, especially those of us who are in middle age, take the time to look deeply at our hearts and see if there are any untils in there that have the power to derail us from our faith. Are there any untils in there, good or bad, that could happen, that could cause me to walk away from the Lord? And I've been doing the ministry long enough, I'm doing a long time, 27 years, and unfortunately, guys, I'm telling you I don't mean to be mean, I'm just shooting you straight. There are people in this room The desired story is gonna be your story. She sought the Lord and did what was right until she didn't, didn't get married. And she stopped seeking the Lord and she became unfaithful. He sought the Lord and did what was right in his sight until he became really successful and wealthy and he stopped seeking the Lord and he became unfaithful. They sought the Lord and did what was right in his sight until difficulty came or the job was lost or the spouse cheated and they stopped seeking the Lord and they became unfaithful. They sought the Lord and did what was right in His sight until they got bored or until they got distracted or they got disillusioned or embittered and they stopped seeking the Lord and they became unfaithful. If you and I are going to be one of those rare people, those all too rare people that lay on our deathbed, with a smile on our face and peace in our heart because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have kept the faith. We gotta dig down deep inside and see if there is anything at all, either good or bad, that could come into our life that like Uzziah could cause us to stop seeking God. And as best as you can, ask God to reveal that to you. And if he does, you just call that thing out and you lay it down at the foot of the cross and as best as you can, you cry out to God and say, God, no matter what, no matter what, help me to hold on to you and God, if I ever let go, you hold on to me. Until we finish this race together. That's what Paul says I've kept the faith. Faith, last thing. One final thing Paul says when describing the end of his life, verse seven, 2 Timothy 4, seven, he says, I have fought the good fight and I've finished the race. <sighs> I've read that verse a thousand times. I've never paid attention to the word good before. It's interesting to me that he says, I fought the good fight. He very easily just could have said, I fought the fight. But he didn't. He said, I I fought the good fight. Why does he say that? I want you to listen to me really carefully. Why, Why does he say not I fought the fight, but I fought the good fight? I want you to listen to this. When Paul says I fought the good fight, I don't think he's... Saying that he's done a good job of fighting. I think what he's saying is that he realizes he spent his life fighting for the right things. He's at the end of his life and he's looking back, and I think he's saying, Timothy, I want you to know that I have spent my life not fighting for stuff that, that doesn't matter, but I have spent my life fighting for the right things. I fought the good fight. And then in Philippians three 8, don't turn there, I just want you to listen. He tells us exactly what the good fight is in Philippians 3.8. This is so convicting. You've heard it before if you've been to church, but I want you to let it sing deeply in your heart. Philippians 3.8, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. He just said that knowing Jesus is the most important thing in his life. He says for his sake, that's for his mission, that's for his kingdom. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I didn't just lose them. He says, but I count them as rubbish, as garbage. Why? That I might gain Christ. That is so convicting. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things all things, and I don't even care because I got Jesus. Because I got Jesus, and he's saying what I've found is that knowing Jesus and making him known is the most valuable thing in this world. The only, only way, guys, you can come to the end of your life and say I fought the good fight is if you spent your life fighting for the really only thing that at the end of the day eternally matters and that is knowing jesus christ and making him known and i fear that there are too many of us far too many of us that are spending the best years of our life fighting worthless fights fighting eternally insignificant fights and the lord is calling us today he's crying out from heaven do not waste your life get in the fight but make sure you're fighting the right fight make sure you're fighting the good fight which is knowing Jesus and making him known. I want to end today. Um, I'm going to get a drink of water because it's hot up here. And I'm going to end end today by telling you a quick story that um, comes from World War II. Now, they tell you in preaching class, don't ever do illustrations that are more than 20 years old, but I don't care. And I'm going to give you an older than 20-year-old illustration. It's about the Battle of Iwo Jima, February 19th, 1944, the battle began. Iwo Jima was an eight-mile stretch of barren island, and 22,000 Japanese soldiers were dead set on not giving that thing up. The United States needed it badly, and during the course of that battle, the United States suffered 26,000 casualties. Now let that sink in. 26,000 casualties dead and wounded and give you an example of the cost in one marine battalion the 2nd battalion marines there were 1,688 soldiers 1,688 soldiers that began the fight and at the end of the battle only 177 walked off the island of those 1,700 boys that walked on the island only 1 in 10 walked off and of the 177 that walked off 91 had been wounded at least once we won the Battle of Iwo, uh, Iwo Jima, but it was at a horrible, horrible cost and sacrifice. Well, they buried those boys there on the island. Many of them that were teenagers whose family would never get to say bye to them or have the solace of giving them a proper goodbye. And this is what I learned this week that i would never heard before. At the edge of the cemetery of all these thousands of boys that gave their life for this cause, there's a rock And somebody inscribed and chiseled on this rock. It was obviously somebody that had made it out, that survived, one of the few that survived. And this is what it said on that rock at the edge of the cemetery. It says, When you go home, tell them for us and say, For your tomorrow, we gave our today. It's powerful. When you go home, tell them for us and say, For your tomorrow, We gave our today. All those teenage boys sacrificed their lives so that you and I could grow old in peace. They gave their today so that every day after that, you and I could have our tomorrow. And listen, I'm done, listen. As important as what hit me this week, as important as the battle of Iwo Jima was, as critical of a cause As the battle of Iwo Jima was, and as important of a sacrifice that those men made, here's what hit me, that I don't think we think enough about, that the cause and the battle that we have been given is so much more important than a battle in World War II. The cause and the battle that those men gave their lives for, which was crucial, guys, it in comparison to the cause that we've been given. Because they gave up their today so that all of us could have our tomorrows. But the question is, are we willing to give up our today so that others could have their eternity? Ours is an eternal cause. We're not fighting for tomorrows. We're fighting for eternities. We're not fighting for a country or a king. We're fighting for the kingdom of God and the king of kings. There is no cause in the history of warfare that compares to the cause that we've been given in Christ Jesus. And so I want to live in such a way and I am calling you to live in such a way and God is calling you to live in such a way that someone can chisel on our gravestone when you go home. Tell them to say and say that for your eternity they gave their day. Doesn't seem like much of a sacrifice, does it? For your eternity gay. They gave there today. What an amazing thing to be said about us that we didn't waste our lives, that we finished well, that we poured out our life to the last drop as a sacrifice to God, that we fought the good fight and we kept the faith because only one life will soon be passed. and Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together. I want you to take a moment. And I wonder today if you sense the Spirit, just Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. I wonder if you'd be willing to pray a prayer. It's a bold prayer. It's a courageous prayer. It's an uncertain prayer. But oh my goodness, it's a prayer that's worth it when I surrendered to my calling to pour out my life about 19, 20 years old I was the side of the road and I pulled over and I said God whatever you want me to do wherever you want me to go I'm yours I had no idea what that would mean all I knew is I was surrendering to a greater cause and a greater battle God wherever you want me to go Whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. Lord, can I just say that you're worth it? There's nothing in this world that I've ever given a second of my life to that compares to you. I echo the Apostle Paul. Knowing you has been the greatest joy of my life. Serving you is worth anything I've had to give up. Lord, would you move in us powerfully today and the days to come so that we would become the church you've called us to. And we ask that today in Jesus' name, amen.